Welcome to Hearth and Soul. I'm your host, Angela Torres Kukyun. I'm a foodie, food nerd, opera singer, and the food manager and preservation queen at Spoken, a cafe in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. I have extensive experience in food service, and I think I have this sort of passion that sits within me, and the more I learn, the more I want to share. And people started asking me questions, and the more questions I answered, the more I realized that maybe I should put it down for others that don't know me and can't ask me in person. Hello, hello! Welcome back to Hearth and Soul. It's been a minute. I am your host, Angela Torres. And you know, it's been a year, y'all. It's been a year. Um, and I know it's been quite some time since I've recorded anything. You know, I just needed to uh, take a little bit of time, step back a little bit, as I think a lot of us did, just to take a few things off your plate, and that's totally okay, totally valid. But I'm back. Because let's be honest, we all need projects right now, and uh, so here's my project. I'm jumping back in, and I'm jumping back in in a big way. Um, this will be the beginning of season three. It's November in Chicago. It's blustery, but it's warm. But I think we're about to have a turn of the weather, so it's it's about to be fall for real. And I have set myself up with a challenge. Since it's November, we've got about six-ish weeks until Christmas, and less, way less than that until Thanksgiving, y'all know that I am a holiday nerd, that I have a little elf that I let free in December every year. Well, this year I'm starting early because, again, we all need projects right now to make us feel like we're in control of something. And my project is going to be 25 days of baking. That's right, 25 different bakes between now and Christmas. Christmas Day, that is. I'm a little behind already. I started last week, um, and I started with these ginger cardamom cookies that my coworker really loves. They're a coconut flour-based, gluten-free cookie. Really easy to make, the kind you just sort of roll the dough in little balls and then roll it in sugar and smash them and cook them. Um, and they came out really great. And then it was my boss's birthday, so I made him a dark chocolate orange cake that had, the cake itself had orange-infused coffee in it, and then it had a filling of orange-infused chocolate ganache, and then it had an orange-infused whipped chocolate ganache on the outside as a frosting with dehydrated oranges to decorate it. I was pretty proud of that. It came out really good. And these things will all be posted on my social media. So I'll be taking pictures, I'll be posting all of this stuff, Everybody out there can help me keep track of what number bake I'm on. As I said, I'm already a little behind because I should have done three last week to keep keep myself in line. So that means this week I'm going to have to do four. But, you know, it's cool. Projects are great. And speaking of projects in the kitchen, today we are going to talk about our quarantine kitchens. Talking about how we feed ourselves during a pandemic. And I have a whole group of people on with me right now. And you all can go ahead and unmute yourselves because I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves one by one. Um, so let's start with Carlos. You're the first one who uh, unmuted yourself. So go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. They've probably, I don't know if they've heard from you before, but just give us... I don't know, something about yourself. One sentence about yourself. 
Go. Just one sentence? Okay. Um, <laughs> hi, my name is Carlos. Um, I am a manager at a dentist's office and a tenor by night. I sing opera. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Next up, who has Stan? Please introduce Stan. Hi, I'm Stan DeSweichel. I have a horrible government job by day, and I too am a tenor by night. Uh, and uh, or at least uh, I hope I am. <laughs> when this is all done, we'll all be singing and be happy. So I I would say that you are most definitely a tenor. Oh um, bless you, and you are def most definitely a ridiculously sounding fantastic contralto. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. For those listening, I basically have a room full of um, opera singers here, with the exception of one. But you all will recognize him when you hear from him. Um, next up, who is unmuted? Ian. You all know Ian, but go ahead and introduce yourself anyway. Um, my name is Ian. I am an Aries, comma. I sell whiskey uh, by the name of Uncle Nearest, comma. And I am a baritone when I can be. Right now, it's been kind of tough. Uh, but you all remember me from, from many a spirits and holiday episode, period. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well said. Um, next up, I have Amanda. Hi. Um, I have a dog doing wild things behind me right now. But um, I'm Amanda <laughs> Neal. Um, I am a. a a retail manager of a bookstore and kids boutique in the South Loop. Um, and I guess by by night, I am a, a chanteuse, a soprano. Um, what else? I don't know. I, I like to play ukulele. Yes. <laughs> She's really awesome with kids as well. And she does these cute little kids concerts virtually. And my nephew just adores her. So throw that in there too. Um, and the last person that we have in the room, well, not actually in the room. This is all virtual. Uh, we have Spence, and y'all have heard from Spence before. But Spence, please introduce yourself again. <laughs> I am Spence. Spence Warren. That's my name. I'm a filmmaker and a film worker by day and night. It's just what I am. I, I make music, too. I, I don't have the necessary vocal training to uh confidently place myself but you know i'm probably in the tenor baritone range would you e guess i'd call you probably you'd probably be a tenor somewhere in that middle yeah. range and then um i oh and shout out to ian's use of i'm pretty sure the oxford comma in his uh <laughs> out loud punctuation shout out for that you're very welcome i'm, I'm very passionate about punctuation <laughs> clearly <laughs> so i have brought you all on here because i want to know what people are doing in their kitchens a lot of people when we first had the shelter in place here in chicago a lot of people took to their kitchens and started learning how to bake and how to cook for themselves and i found that really inspiring even though i sort of did the opposite for a little while because that's what i do normally uh, if that makes sense. So I want to talk about first, let's talk about um, how maybe your eating habits have changed since we all got thrown into this pandemic. And you y'all can sort of popcorn in as you have contributions. Popcorn. 
now now I want popcorn. Um, yeah. So ha- has anybody had like any like major changes in how they eat? I feel like my eating habits are not different. I like I'm trying to explore that. Like as you ask that question, it, it it like just dawned on me. Like I don't think anything really changed, which is to say maybe I always had really bad eating habits. <laughs> oh, I mean you know it's like you you get fast food and you get you you cook at home. When I say you, I mean we. We cook at home. We make yeah. we have fast food, and every once in a while there's ice cream and soda, and sometimes not. I don't know. Yeah. Like okay. I have this ritual whenever I pay bills. Oh, th- okay. This is this is actually a way that my eating habits have changed. I have this ritual. I have a day every month where I like pay all the bills or like all the bills that we can afford. And <laughs> um, and when it's done, because I absolutely abhor paperwork, mm-hmm. I treat myself to sushi afterwards. And that's like my little, you know, thing that I do. It's a nice. ritual. And I feel like I have observed that ritual less during pandemic than before. Okay. Interesting. And Interesting. It's pretty inexpensive sushi. Shout out to Lawrence Fish Market. They make oh, yeah. sushi and it's super Ooh. cheap. So it's not even like, you know, cost. It's just for some reason I did it less. I mean, if ever there was a time that paying bills deserved a treat, it was the here and now. <laughs> right? Yeah. As long as you just had something left over to treat yourself with. Right. Mm-hmm. That's all right. I mean, there, there is an element of that, but you should no always. No day but today. $525,000 I still owe. <laughs> Oh, I'm Lord. very rarely in the right room for that reference, so you know. <laughs> oh my goodness! You're you're welcome for that. You're welcome. So thank you. Yes, thank you for the space. Um, <laughs> does anybody else have any thoughts on like if your daily eating habits have changed and maybe why you think that might be? Um. Yeah. I I definitely was like eating eating out more. I guess like ordering delivery more than I used to. I would like never get delivery before, mm-hmm. but. Um, especially like back in March and like April, a lot of delivery, a lot of delivery from places that are honestly within walking distance, which is silly, but, um, (laughs) by silly, you mean awesome. (laughs) Just, you know, who cares about the delivery fee? There's a pandemic. Um, by by, by silly, you mean considerate of your fellow man. Yes, exactly. I didn't want to expose anybody um, unnecessarily. I was really taking that lockdown seriously. But um, I guess the biggest thing um, that changed was um, we started getting like delivery groceries, Mm -hmm. um, like getting our Costco delivery, which I used to be a person who would go to Costco several times a week. Um, pre-pandemic, which <laughs> some days every day, <laughs> um, and then it like con- <laughs> condensing it into just one delivery was like, oh, look at how much money I'm saving, and not just buying random shit at Costco all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really great way because I also wanted to ask 
how has everybody's like grocery experiences changed? Have you changed how you buy your groceries? Has your grocery budget changed? Because I know that I also started doing Costco delivery because mostly because after the lockdown, when we could actually leave our homes and I was going back to work, I was like, I went into a grocery and I about lost my fucking mind. Like mm-hmm. I could not handle how people were just not taking anything seriously. You know, like they have all those little, the little markers on the floor and the little arrows telling you, you can only go one way down an aisle. And like, you all know me, right? Like if there's a rule like that, I'm going to follow it. And it drive drove me batty that no one else was and that people were congregated in different parts of the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I think I did like two grocery trips and then I was like, I can't, I cannot do this. I am going to kill someone or I'm just (laughs) going to explode in a giant ball of anxiety. Like I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, I I had like altercations with people when at a Costco and that was when I was like, forget this. I'm just going to start getting the delivery. Yeah. This guy who was like, cut off a bunch of people who were waiting with his cart and he of course his mask was under his nose and I just made like a side comment and then he tried to be like what you trying to say to me and then trying to tell Brian that he needs to like get your woman under control and I was like oh hell hell no I was like so ready to fight this man in the middle of Costco I would have paid to see that if Brian had not exactly. been here mm-hmm. to stop me, like I would have. It wouldn't be the first time I saw thrown hands in Costco. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I I only went to a Mariano's in the beginning because I needed to pick up stuff from work. Is what mm-hmm. it was, and I after the second trip, I told my boss I was like, okay, you know what i I have to set this boundary. I will not go to the grocery store for the shop anymore if we can't order it from our normal vendor then we just won't have it. Like, we're just, I can't do it. And he was like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. We don't have to pick up things from the grocery store. He doesn't like being out of things. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to have a full menu when we reopened. And I just was like, look, if we have to be out of something little like green onions, then we're just because I am not doing it. And then it became a thing where like, I order from Costco maybe once a month. And if I can't get it from Costco, I just don't get it, you know? Like I just do without, and that's that's how it's changed for me. Does anybody else have any like major grocery changes? Your story has led me to realize that I have told an inadvertent fib because <gasps> there is a big change. And thank you, Amanda, for leading me to realize this. We have this tendency, and I wonder if the rest of y'all do this too, to like order the exact same shit for groceries like yep every yep. time so much like like, we, like it used to be that you know you you never know what we were gonna get for like my wife is a chef you know and we um so my food knowledge has increased considerably in our 16 years together and like um you know our adventurousness yeah i mean you know we we, we have diverse tastes and stuff so mm-hmm. this habituated like you know, 10 items that come every single time is a huge change. And I wonder if like a subconscious desire for normalcy is the motivating factor for that one. 
I honestly Probably. Think I think it's more actually because uh, talking about just how our how our food intake in our house has changed and delivery. I think it's more an issue of of, of choice is stressful. Mm. Choice, choice is super stressful, and and something that we've done is get a lot more of our groceries delivered. Um, and I just choose staples. I just choose building blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, now now instead of buying pork chops, I buy an entire pork loin and i make the i make the uh the blade into um stew meat and i turn the rest into pork chops mm-hmm. and I, I break down my own chickens and so instead of buying instead of buying diversely i'm buying staples and my diversity comes from from other places when we're cooking if that makes yes sense. that makes perfect so, sense we also started doing taco tuesday because we needed to know when tuesday was <laughs> We needed to know when one day of the week came every week. I so think that that's why the Pilgrims invented Taco Tuesday. So that, that was really that. kind of them. <laughs> because <laughs> they knew I mean, it would be two days before Thanksgiving, which is always on Thursday. <laughs> which yeah. is always on so, Thursday. So. Right. right. That is, it is helpful. It's helpful. It's, you know, if you don't have a calendar handy, it's a great way to figure out what day it is. Is when and did you last the have tacos? The first Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> oh, now, now for me, for me, I have never had groceries delivered once. Except that my sister, when I, after I, a couple weeks and I had sort of recovered, when I got mm-hmm. sick, right at shutdown, she brought me some a couple things from the store. But I have, after I figured out that I was not going to be um, uh, communicating disease or com, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Spreading. Contagious. <laughs> contagious. Thank you. Yes. Once I knew I wasn't going to be contagious, I I went right back to grocery shopping with a mask on and uh, trying to kill anybody who didn't have a mask on. And (laughs) but finding that because I I really hated delivery and I would do delivery a couple times and they were never the way I'd want because nothing's close to me. Um, Great's close to me. I started buying all the building blocks of of stuff. Um, I remember buying a bag of flour, five pound bag of flour. And having it go bad on me because I didn't use it for two years. And oh. now I'm up to the point where I'm buying like King Arthur flour because of the protein content and making my own breads and pizza doughs and um, dumpling doughs. And I've gone through like four bags of it or of, of stuff already since pandemic started. And I'm, I live mm-hmm. by myself. So yeah. And and you no, know, I have all the spices that I need, and all the the baking sodas and baking powders, and all sorts of stuff. And I remember what the turning point was. Uh, there's a wonderful accompanist, uh, collaborative pianist named Cody Michael Bradley, mm-hmm. and uh, he put out. Uh, uh, he was just like, "Hey, I'm going to do a lesson in making cookies. Come on, join me." So I'm like, "Okay, I'll sign up." And I just happen to have all the ingredients and I did it and I'm like, why the hell am I not cooking for myself more? And so I just, I did. And I do, I do almost everything for myself. I rarely go to fast food places. I don't get delivery. I haven't bought a pizza in months from outside of my house. Well, you've been making some, you've been making some pretty great looking pizzas. I'm really trying to perfect the homemade, uh, uh, Pequod's. (laughs) Nice. 
Really am. I'm getting Good close. Lord. That's so hard. Why would you try? Just get it for the restaurant. <laughs> because they won't deliver it in my house because I'm so far away. Oh, no. You know, one thing I one thing I will say, and, and I would like to encourage everyone to do as someone who's kind of in the hospitality industry adjacent, um, you know, we do get delivery groceries here in the in the Hosick Ward household, but I also go to a, a local grocery store because because I want to support them, and I I I have to you know I I I'm I'm a very lucky person. I have a budget to go out and eat because of my job mm. and what I and what I do. But I use that and I use my my extra spending money and I support and get delivery and eat out at places that I want to see get through this mm-hmm. because so many of those small places are struggling i have a couple restaurants that i really really would be devastated to see if if they go and i've already lost probably like a handful i've probably lost 15 restaurants that i absolutely love Mm. Um, so i do i encourage like one thing that i do is i spend the money that i have when i can and when i should on the things that i want to see survive yeah what's one restaurant that broke your heart when it closed fountainhead yeah Uh, fat willies Fat Willie's was really sad. Fountainhead. Oh, I didn't know about Fat Willie's. Oh, yeah, Akira's. Yeah. Akira's on the um, pralines. They closed. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, and I have to say, as somebody who works in a restaurant, we at Spoken are all, like, almost daily, we're like, we are so lucky. We are so lucky because we're such a small business. You know, there's only, like, 12 of us. And that includes the owners, you know, so it's... Honestly, it's a friggin' miracle that our customer base has been so loyal and they've been just like Ian, you know, they, if they have the funds, they spend them with us. And it really, it makes a huge difference. You know, we are able to continue to do what we do and we're all able to take home a paycheck and, you know, and survive. Plus, have you eaten at your place? It's pretty good. (laughs) I mean, I do eat a lot of the food at my place because I make it, so... (laughs) Spoken is one of those places that Nick and I go to because it is our so now now is one of our local spots. We kind of just moved back to the area. Um, yeah, yeah, and so I encourage all of you if you can tip twenty five percent. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Most definitely. Most definitely. I will say I. So I do get grocery delivery, but I haven't done a whole lot of takeout. Um, that's just not. I don't know. I used to do it like once a month. It would be like a treat myself kind of thing. And I haven't really done that much of it lately. And I think it just, I don't know, to me, it feels like more work to try and decide. I think you hit it, Ian, when you said like, the choices are hard right now. And yeah, but I can look in my, you know, I have my little, all my listeners know that I have my little freezer, my second freezer. It's always stocked with lots of good meat products. Um, and then I get the staples from Costco. And if I need something else, I will go to the Cermak Produce that's around the corner from me. Um, but that's pretty much Cermak Produce because they have a lot of really great... Um, the one over here is... It's like a giant Mexican grocery store with all kinds of amazing things. Um, so good. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, and it's affordable. Like it's the kind of grocery store that you can go when you're like, Oh, money's tight right now, but I need to feed myself. You know, you can go. And if you want Mexican products, 
All the ingredients that you could possibly want, they're all there, which is awesome. Absolutely. So, I mean, I will say that that is, like, I used to really enjoy grocery shopping, just, like, going somewhere and doing the shopping, and that's the one thing for me that's changed, is that I don't, uh, it's okay now. I'll go into a store now, but for, you know, the last few months or so, I I just couldn't do it, and which is weird for me to not enjoy going to the grocery store. Um, but I have also just been getting staples, you know, my, my Costco deliveries always consist of milk so that I can make my yogurt cause I eat yogurt for breakfast. It always has cheese. There's, you know, and, and then some things I'm able to get through work, which I know a lot of people don't have that, um, that accessibility, but like all of my gluten-free flour, I was able to buy 25 pound bags through work. So... I've got all of that stuff on hand as well for all my baking needs. To your to your point about the grocery store, I have I have had to fly several times since the shutdown in March, mm-hmm. and I feel safer on a plane than I do at the grocery store. <laughs> in terms of yeah. my exposure rate, and 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 now all airlines are doing the same thing. I I, I don't want to say that, but I I, I fly airlines that have uh, very strict. Uh, guidelines mm-hmm. and it is so much better it is just so much better than going to the grocery store where you can run into the shithead who uh who who, who had beef with Aunt, with amanda yeah at yeah. costco mm-hmm. like it's just not worth it um ever or at all right uh, if you think that's bad try taking the cta every day i don't oh, want boy. to why would i do oh. that that sounds it's terrible it is Months. terrible it's, it's not a fun time at all. No. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. I'm really lucky that I don't have to take the CTA every day. I know that some of you on here do, but I can't imagine having to do that. That would make me so paranoid. Um, <laughs> more so than I already am. Uh, <laughs> you know, I haven't heard from Carlos. Are you there? Oh, I am. I'm listening. Sorry. Um, no, that's all right. So I guess for me at the beginning of this whole thing, like I went and bought a lot of Grubhub. So I supported a lot of local restaurants um, that obviously had Grubhub. Um, But I feel like now because I am back to normal and I know what the days are, thankfully, um, (laughs) because I'm back at my day job. um, I feel like it's mostly like my, my best friend cooking for me. So it's whatever we have available. And we obviously have to go through the stress of going through the like grocery store and having to deal with everyone's privilege of like, Hey, the arrow says this way. And then they're coming towards you. And you're like, um, sir, you're going the wrong way. A 90 year old granny behind me. Like, do you really want to? Um, so obviously we grab the staples and, you know, we grab the bread and are not fancy and are not making our own, Sadly, our own pizzas and stuff like that. But we're almost there. We're getting there. Just takes practice. You know, once you get through about 15, 16 crusts, you know. <laughs> no, seriously. It's but like, seriously, he's, he's not, he's telling, he's speaking oh, truths. You start get you start learning things about how, uh, how different ways to proof and whether or not you want to do a cold, long ferment or something quick to make a quick crust with or what do you have to do to line like a Pequod style versus like a DOC or, you know, just some shit you want to put together. So, oh, yeah, it's fun. It's um, like, Angela, what's, what's I'm going to need that Zoom class. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Angela, what's 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 the one thing you've really liked, loved to develop over this time that you really have had time to work on? Um, you know, in the beginning, I did I I did the thing that everybody else was doing. Um, I did the sourdough bread, but because I have to be gluten free, I had to figure gluten free sourdough, which mm. is a little bit tricky, and I still haven't totally mastered it. I think I got to a point where I was tired of eating sourdough bread, so <laughs> I started making some other kinds of bread. But it, you know, it's a different. It's interesting because you're still getting the same kind of ferment that gives you the rise in the bread, but your bread dough is a complete consistency. And so knowing whether or not your loaf is baked all the way through is a completely different thing than regular gluten filled bread. You, you know, normally you have, you have, a, you have a loaf of bread and you thump it on the bottom. And if it sounds hollow, then it's done. Well, you can do that with a loaf of gluten-free bread and it'll sound hollow and it'll look almost, you know, you're like, I can't cook more cause it's going to burn and you let it cool because you, you have to let gluten-free products cool completely before you cut into them and it won't be done on the inside. And there's like no way to know. So there was a lot of time spent figuring out, okay, you know, the humidity in my apartment, what does that do to this recipe? What is, you know, the fact that I'm using this brand of flour versus that other brand of flour, like those kinds of things I played with a bit. And I did have quite a few Science. really, yes, really Hello, brown, crunchy. I had crunchy loaves of bread, which is unheard of in the gluten-free community. So that was kind of awesome. Um, and now I'm. Um, because I had this goal of baking cakes for everybody at work, um, I'm finishing up the year with a few more birthdays for folks at work. So I've gotten to try some new um, new cake flavors and new cake ingredients. So I've been working a lot with black cocoa powder, which is really interesting. Um, it's what basically it's what they make Oreos out of. Ah. It's a cocoa powder oh. that is so much drier. And it's so much darker than normal cocoa powder. So it works differently within your recipes. So if you make, for example, if I make a my standard gluten-free chocolate cake recipe, which is delicious. If you've tried it, you can't tell the difference. But oh. if I use all black cocoa powder in that cake recipe, it will come out, even though that cocoa powder is drier, the cake itself will come out moist that it falls apart so you can't cut the layers in half if that makes sense to fill mm -hmm. them without them falling it looks like it's a cake that looks like giant oreo which is not a bad thing you unless you're not expecting that texture you know so but if you only substitute part of the cocoa powder with the black cocoa then you get sort of a dark chocolate cake but with the texture that you want it's a very, it's been a very interesting process and it's been a lot of fun. And I think that um, my next thing is going to be to perfect a gingerbread cake, gluten-free gingerbread cake. I think I need to work on that. Every year I try to make one, it never works out quite right. Mm. So Do you think the black cocoa combination with the regular cocoa is because of the oil content of the two? It kind of just creates the perfect oil, like the perfect level of moisture. Yeah, 
I think that that definitely has something to do with it. It even says, if you look at the label of the black cocoa, it does say that you should, you can substitute part of your standard cocoa powder in any recipe, but not all of. And the first time I did it, I was, I was actually trying to make a black cake. So I did not heed that warning. And the cake, the, the, the cake turned out fine. It, it ended up being, if any of you saw it, this was uh, back in the very, very beginning of the, um, the pandemic. And my coworker wanted a goth cake. So I was trying to make a black cake with black frosting, but that wouldn't stain your teeth and your mouth black. So, well, then what's the, where's the fun in that? I, you know, I was I was trying to be she fancy. Wanted, <laughs> what? They wanted a full experience. Right. She, wanted, she didn't want to turn the teeth and mouth black, just the soul. Just, right, <laughs> exactly. And if you know, Stan, if my friend Carly, who I made it for, if she had heard that phrase just now, she would agree with you a hundred percent. She she actually told me. She said, I want a black cake, black like my soul. And I was like, all right, I'll do my best. And I, I, I did succeed. It's just that when I went to cut into the cake to fill, to fill the layers, I filled them with, um, it was a mixture of whiskey and homemade raspberry jam that I wanted to, yeah, it, it was good, but the, the cake layers sort of started to fall apart on me. So I had to kind of glue them back together with frosting. <laughs> And then I covered the whole thing in a black, black frosting, but the recipe was written for that frosting was written specifically for black cocoa powder. So I haven't sat down and compared it to like a regular buttercream to see what exactly was different about it. Other than time, there's a time issue when working with black cocoa powder, because if you really want it to turn out black, it needs to be exposed to the air. So it needs to really macerate in it. Yeah, basically. So you have to like you make your frosting or whatever and you let it sit out for like 24 hours or I mean in the fridge, but like exposed to air for at least 24 hours and then you mix it again and then it gets darker and darker as you work with it. So yeah, it turned out great and it did end up being a black cake with, um, I made pink roses to put on buttercream roses and then I dusted those with a little black cocoa powder and I called it Victorian goth and uh, she loved it. She said it tasted great. So, but yeah, it was totally a, a learning, learning process that I had the time for because, you know, we were in lockdown. So <laughs> Nick has that been baking a, a lot. That's been his big project during quarantine is to really hone in on his baking skills. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's and he's getting he's he's getting good. He's always been a good baker, but he's always been a good home baker. And now he's really trying to step out of his comfort zone and not just make oatmeal cookies. Right. Also make me chocolate chip cookies. Would be great <laughs> if you could hear what, that. What other kind of things <laughs> is he making? Um, so for my birthday, my birthday was the first week that we could taste things after COVID. So he made me... It kind of was. Um, what, what a time that was. Uh, talking about how my diet changed. I also blew my knee out in the beginning of quarantine. Oh. So I had to like Think about what I was eating, and I didn't. Um, oh. uh, so uh, he it was it was yeah quarantine diet. Um, but he made me a uh, yellow cake. I just wanted a yellow sheet cake with mm -hmm. chocolate frosting for my birthday. 
just good old fashioned clog your arteries, sugary yellow yellow birthday cake. Okay. Uh, he has made some cookies. Uh, Nick, what else have you baked? You've been baking a lot. What have you been baking? You did the pie. You did the pumpkin pie. We made our own uh, pumpkin pie puree. Nice. You did the apple pie. That was really delicious. Pies are so hard. Yeah, it was so good. He did a he did a he did a fish market apple pie, which is the only kind of apple pie that's acceptable. What is that? <laughs> Explain. What it's is like, that? It's like it also also been referred to as a Dutch apple pie, but oh. it has a sour cream and kind of a creamier filling, and with okay. a crumble top. I love that. Actually, you, I've been able to I've been able to do sour creams in the crust, and they're so easy to work. For how Ooh. much I love apple pie, I've never actually made one. Oh, girl, it's, get on that! Like, I want fun. apple pie at my wedding. We could mm. make that happen. We should. Huh? When is your wedding? Oh my god, it's in March. I'm terrified. We can all, <laughs> you can just have a, a potluck of apple pies. That sounds great. Can we do that for my birthday on Thanksgiving? I was gonna say it would be kind of fun if, like, it's just literally one apple pie, like as your wedding cake, regular no, size. It has to be a. It has to be a. Yeah, tiered. I was thinking about tiered, like a tiered. Like yes, tiers of apple pie. Like the columns are. Apple pie. The the single one like frisbee plate (laughs) apple pie. You joke, but we can make this happen. (laughs) Everyone everyone gets like a quarter of an inch sliver. So Amanda, you know (laughs) that when my when my sister got married, she didn't have like she made a little wedding cake for just her and Daniel for the Mm -hmm. you know feeding each other cake bit. But the rest of the dessert for everybody else, she just had a dessert table where basically she asked all of her friends and family who were good at baking desserts to contribute. Yeah. Single pie wedding. Single pie wedding. Single pie wedding. I made five. Was it five kinds of pie? Yeah, I made five kinds of pie. And she has a friend who makes really great cheesecake, um, our Mm. friend Rachel. And Rachel makes made like five or six different kinds of cheesecake. Actually, and cheesecake. Then, that's what I started yeah. making it during lockdown. I made a couple, a few. Oh, you've been making some you really cool ones, haven't you? Yeah, I made a Nutella one that was <gasps> amazing. And I need to make it again. <laughs> but it uses like, it's like three cups of Nutella oh, in the thing. Well, um, that's what Costco's for. Oh There's yeah, got to get those big Costco. Sorry, did you say three cups of Nutella? Yes, three as cups. In, like, as, as in twenty-four ounces of Nutella. Yeah. By in volume. addition to, like, I think it's it's definitely like more Nutella than cream cheese. I see nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I don't see a that problem with like that. It's amazing. Just, it's so thick. As long as you can buy, <laughs> as as you can buy the big. Barrels of <laughs> Nutella, you're fine. So. Yeah, I'm still perfecting my ube cheesecake. That's been Ooh. a little bit um, challenging. What's, Once uh, you do, what I really it want it. So the thing with the ube is like, it's really hard to find actual ube extract right now. Mm. And it's really expensive. So like, I bought what I thought was ube extract and I got home and it was just like basically purple uh, food dye. <laughs> And I was like, damn it, I paid $9 for this. Um, Like, my mom got four ounces of 
ube extract online and paid like $24 for it. Wow. Which is wild. Also, you cannot find um, the ube halaya, which is this like ube jam. Um, You can't find it anywhere right now. Like people are fighting over it in Filipino stores because it's so... Because it can't be imported? So it's more... Actually, I have no clue. I really need to look into this, Mm. like, ube disaster. Because, like, (laughs) my mom is literally like, if you see it, buy as much as you can. And mail it. So, you know what? You have to. I don't know. um, We should get in... uh, Let me get in touch with um, the guy that runs Bianco next door. Oh, Yeah. Um, I don't know if they make their own ube ice cream or if they purchase it already made, but I can ask. That would be amazing if you could ask. Well, yeah. One thing about then... um, commercial versus uh, consumer uh, groceries and goods is mm-hmm. if because the supply chain has been so overtaxed, um, things are just not are just not coming uh, coming in. So if if it was unnecessary, it kind of got thrown off the truck. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just like yeah, mm-hmm. if we we need more room for toilet paper and Libby's canned pumpkin puree than we right. Do. Apparently, mm-hmm. well, you know, ube is one of those th- ingredients that those exotic ingredients that has kind of taken off in the last couple of years. Yeah, um, it's gotten really popular, and like it's. Everywhere it almost seems. <laughs> it's but very, I, 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 it's I Instagrammable. Look, I googled this and it actually says there's a shortage, uh, high demand oh. because of people are home baking. But uh, because of the pandemic, it's it's been production is down. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. so there's a yeah. lot of issues right now. With keep in mind that like production facilities are run by people, right? People just like just like us. So when a production facility gets a case, somebody tests positive for COVID, they have to shut down that whole yeah. facility. So we've or had we've noticed it. a lot of sort of weird things pop up at work that suddenly we cannot get that have never ever been a problem before and don't seem to make a lot of sense. Like um Rotel tomatoes with green chilies. Really? Right. Like we use that mm-hmm. for uh Will uses that in one of his Cajun dishes. And for weeks, I mean weeks and it must have been at least six weeks, we could not get a hold of it. And the the representative for Cisco just kept telling me, she's like, I don't know, they're they keep telling pushing back when it's gonna be in stock, but now the, the producer, the action manufacturer is telling us that they cannot they cannot produce it right now. So we ended up switching to a different brand just that was fine. So it just had to do with that one Rotel brand and mm-hmm. it just out of nowhere, you know, no warning. And she was like, basically they, te- when that happens, they tell us, Oh, well it's because of COVID and they don't go into detail. And it wow. just means that something happened in their production line where they had to either shut down or they had to slow down. Part of they lost staff for whatever reason and and sometimes it's not even their own issues sometimes it's not even their own staff sometimes it's like in the case like kikoman uh soy sauce i could you could not get a a normal bottle of consumer kikoman soy sauce and i don't think it was actually kikoman i think it was the glass it was the provider of the glass 
Oh, that yeah. had the problem because like you don't even think of that. Like just something as simple as the person who supplies the caps, the plastic for the caps, can yep. throw off entire production of things that you never thought would be a problem. Yeah, we had. Um, so there's a there's another small uh, business in um, the Ravenswood neighborhood. Uh, she does canned goods as well, so little jars of jams and jellies and things like that. And she got all of a sudden during the pandemic, she got inundated with orders, which was amazing, but had to stall a bunch of orders because she couldn't find the lids that for her jars. She finally mm -hmm. contacted us and said, hey, do you have any extra? And we said, well, how many do you need? And she was like, oh, I only need, need like 60. And I was like, oh, sweetie, that's that's I got you. That's nothing. Because we we know ahead of time that we're going to I'm going to can at least at least in jars in a season so we ordered way in advance and now the companies that produce produce these things for mass production and i i don't mean like home canners i mean like people like us those companies where we get jars and lids and things like that they have nothing there yeah. are no wide mouth jars to be had there's no lids to be had so we have to just be like well i hope we got enough for what we need for the rest of the season because they're thing available out there which is I bizarre i feel like since you know march like i've never heard or said the words supply chain so many times <laughs> in emails and because like even for my store like you know the the place where we get all of our books from the place where all bookstores get all of their books from mm -hmm. this one distributor and it used to be like next day delivery and now it's like well, especially back in March and April, it was like a week or longer. And just like, they're not able to print books. They're not able to make things travel. It's it's wild how much it's really affected so many aspects of life that we didn't realize it would. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, live, I live right around the block from the El Milagro um, Tortillas. Uh, to factory store. Mm -hmm. And so they have like three factories I didn't even know about right in the neighborhood. And what happened was people started getting sick in the factories. And that yeah. was the first thing they could sell in the stores. And what's weird, really weird is, right at the beginning of, of when the pandemic started really to roll up, there was a huge rush on their product. And you would, I would walk past the store and you'd see the line down the block, around the block, just to go to the factory store to buy tortillas and masa and uh, all sorts of stuff. And then certain products started disappearing. They didn't have this product or that product because they would have to shut down factories because people would get sick. They have to yeah. close down and disinfect. And um, so, yeah, it was, I mean, but that was right from the get go. People were just panic buying as if they'd never, they were never going to have another tortilla in their life. Yeah. Well, the same happened in the beginning with, um, some of the meat plants, you know, um, yeah. the places where we would get our, our ham was fine. We get our ham from new skis and they were, they issues, but some of the turkey plants, um, chicken producers, um, just all of these sort of factories that process all of these products, they were people getting sick and they were having to send their staff home. And then it got to the point where so many staff members had to be sent home and quarantined that they would have to shut down plants. So in the very beginning, I remember mm -hmm. getting lists from 
from the from our vendor from Cisco big long lists every week of these are the plants that are have shut down or about to shut down that we cannot get product from. So it was like good luck getting chicken for the next three weeks anywhere because not just because the grocery stores are short, but like the plants are not producing. There just yeah. isn't anybody to work the plant right now. So yeah, it's it's been a mess on all levels. And I think it's interesting how people, even with all of these shortages, people have still taken to their kitchens and really, I feel like it, it's been sort of this revival in, in being able to cook for yourself and feed yourself, mm -hmm. which I think I is a good agree. thing. I don't love I don't love putting like the silver lining on this horrible pandemic because if we could have gone without this pandemic, I would have rathered that. But I do think that it is an interesting sort of social thing to look at, a, a study, if you will, in how we have reverted back to a lot of things that were taking place well before our time. You know, people are gardening, people are um baking bread people are you know learning to make cheesecakes and pies people are canning like you wouldn't believe and i think that that's i think it's really cool I, maybe i'm alone in that thought but i, no, I think, think you're right i think yeah. there's a there's also i think um as we've moved you know just generally for for work a lot of my work has moved to a digital space and and let me tell you what i i i fucking hate it um, I would give yeah. anything to see people. And something I think that similarly as we've like become more self-reliant on ourselves to feed ourselves in our home, our home spaces have just changed how we how we live in them, where maybe we could handle a little bit of mess here because we would leave for the day. We can't really do that much anymore mm -hmm. uh, because we're always in it. But also I think it's showed us that as we've moved to more and more digital spaces like this one, I think everyone on this call, having met most of them, probably misses the hell out of our faces mm -hmm. and it's just yeah. showed us that we also we also crave uh, uh, that kind of interaction that that kind of life that we that we no longer get and and similarly like in the kitchen we have to do it and it's just changed it's just changed the way we live it's changed the way we, we thought about how we sustain ourselves yeah yeah definitely and i don't think that that is i don't think it's a bad thing i think that yeah, this sucks that people are stuck and we don't get to see each other. And like, I haven't hugged any of you in almost a year. And that is really disheartening to me. Like that really breaks my heart. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I, I mean, like I get to see people, I mean, mostly strangers every day, but like every <laughs> once in a while, like a friend will come to the store just to say hi or to pick up a little gift or something. And it's like, mm -hmm like I almost cry every time like yesterday yeah. I saw a friend who um was singing in my church choir so it was somebody that I had been seeing every weekend mm -hmm. for like two years and then like we randomly ran into each other at H Mart in like July and then she came by the store yesterday and we were just like standing six feet away with our arms open and like trying doing air hugs and like right you know it was it's just such a weird thing when you see someone who you know like last year this same time like 
we were like braiding each other's hair before practice and like, (laughs) you know, just it's so, it's so intense when you do see people. And then like for my stuff that I do, like it's a lot of working with kids and a lot of these kids are just, you know, contact is so, is something that we all so took for granted, I think before now. Uh And now it's like when you can't, just like hug these sweet little angels when they come to the store they like run up to you and you're like stay away I know I know it's heartbreaking oh so my nephew um he's three and the squishy as you've all heard me refer to him (laughs) so my um my parents and my sister brother-in-law and my nephew they are they're like my pod right so Mm -hmm. I can go visit them because they've all they all work from home. They've all quarantined for a long time. I quarantine, you know, so we're really safe about it. But it means that we can see each other. And I went to see them in August when my niece, right after my niece was born. And um, my brother-in-law had taken my nephew for a walk to the park. And he came back and he was telling us all about it. And and his dad, Daniel, said, yeah, we saw some other people there. And he went and, you know, gave this other little girl a hug. And then I had to tell him that that wasn't OK. And he didn't, you know, he he understands, but he doesn't, you know. And when he was telling us this story, we said, well, it's probably better if you don't hug her. You know, we probably shouldn't do that because of of this. He calls it the big germ. And yeah, OK, he understood. But I think once it really soaked in for a minute he thought that we were trying to say you can't hug anybody meaning like mom Mm -hmm. and dad and grandma and grandpa and and he looked at me and he said but but tt i i really miss hugging people and he started crying and i oh oh my god it just tore my heart out so i explained was like you can still hug me and you can still hug mommy and you can hug daddy and you can hug Abo and Aya, which is what he calls my my parents. And uh, see here, you can go hug Abo right now. And my, my dad picked him up and gave him a big hug. And he was like, oh, and then he felt better. But I think for that split second, the thought of not being social and not physically <laughs> interacting with people just was more than he could bear. And I think that we all feel that way. So these outlets that we're having of like, let me bake some bread because shit, I can't hug my best friend. And I haven't seen my friends and my choir family in, in months and months. And like, I need some interaction, but I don't have it. So let me teach myself to bake some bread. Let me mm-hmm. teach myself to make a cheesecake. Let me teach myself how to can things. Cause I don't know what else to do, you know? And, but I do think that later when this is all over and it will be over at some point, I think people are going to look back and realize that we've all sort of been reawoken to some things that as a society we had forgotten about, such Mm -hmm. as not just feeding ourselves, but the importance of that act of self-care and also the importance of not taking for granted the people around you, you know, and that social interaction that we all are missing so much. I think that we will come out of this having remembered some things that we had forgotten as a society, if that makes sense. I think so. I was having a conversation with um, an intimacy director, which um, 
for those who don't know, either in this digital space or out in the world, when you're listening to this podcast, that's a person who um, choreographs and guides the, um, and I'm, I'm going to do a terrible job of explaining this because it's kind of a new thing, but it's basically someone who choreographs and sets the tone for boundaries around intimacy, hugging, kissing, sex, nudity, etc. cetera. Okay. They are an advocate for the actor on stage or on screen. Um, I think that on stage, they are intimacy directors and on screen, they're intimacy coordinators. I believe that's the declension, though someone okay. out there who knows is probably going to be like, no! And no. So I don't think anyone that, care. I don't think enjoy that care. Email. Oh, people do. Trust you me. But in any case... <laughs> I hope they don't. I hope they don't. Let's just... But in any case, the, the conversation that we were having was um, about a movie that we hope to make, if it's ever safe to make movies on a larger scale than a few people again. Um, mm-hmm. And um, she, was, she brought up this really fascinating point about the, the notion that intimacy itself is going to take on an entirely new dimension in a in a post covid world because mm. of the uh the amount of time that we've spent just considering health as like a prerequisite condition uh for being able to even be in a room with someone and share 6 feet much less mm. fewer right so when i think about the things that um, y'all have been talking about with regard to like supply chain dynamics and how much, um, how conscious of that we've become in concert with the idea of this desire for contact that we feel like casual contact with our friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it occurs to me that it's very possible. It's not certain, but it's very possible that the concept of everything coming from someone somewhere and the need for us to take care of each other because we're all we've got, it's become so, uh, such a prescient thing that it might be a little harder to forget as the world heals. And I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. I like, yeah. This is it's so interesting because I when I put this group of people to, together to discuss this particular topic, I did not expect it to go in this direction, but I'm really glad that it has because it's just sort of like, I don't know, our, I feel like our kitchens right now are sort of a metaphor for how the rest of life is happening. And I think it's an interesting thing for us to think about how what are we going to take from this when it's all over, you know? And it's more than just, oh, well, I learned to make bread. Not that I'm, you know, poo-pooing on that, because if you learned to make bread and you couldn't make bread before, then kudos to you. You deserve a gold star and a pat on the back when we're allowed to touch each other again, because that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I really love how this conversation has come about. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to contribute? It's interesting that you mentioned things that we'll learn. Like um, it's not so much about making bread for me. It's about knowing that one, I can do stuff for myself if I need to. I don't have to rely on someone else to cook for me. It goes back to what my parents always used to say. 
we don't have to go to a restaurant. We can cook this in the house. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, they were pros. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. um, you know, um, but it it reiterates patience. You know, for someone who couldn't wait a half an hour for a dough to rise, who now mm-hmm. has a dough in the fridge for 72 hours to make a pizza for one pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, it teaches uh, self sustaining skills like you said earlier it brings us back to some of the rudimentary skills we had in what they used to call home economics you know the the ability Mm -hmm. to cook for oneself the ability to put together something from nothing in a cabinet to know what ingredients to have on hand um yeah and there is that sense of community of uh hey we've all been in this together and when we're all together let's put our best dishes forward and share and have a great time together because we'll be able to appreciate that togetherness more. And we'll have something new to bring to the table, literally when we Mm -hmm. can all meet again. Yes. Excellent. Well said. I really, I agree with that wholeheartedly and believe you me when this is over, I intend to have a very large Epic party because (laughs) (laughs) I just miss, I miss hanging out with, with all of, of you um and and a whole bunch of other people that are not in this room with us right now do you Again, imagine there'll be like a resurgence my... of spin the bottle and stuff probably i mean you know what, what stan was saying what what spence was saying about intimacy there's i think um one thing that happens in isolation is an extremism you know, cultures that are isolated tend to mm-hmm. extremely identify with that culture. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to see extreme forms of lots of things. I think you're going to see a lot of dinner parties. There's going to be kind of the age of the dinner party. I think people are going to go out to bars and restaurants in truckloads. I think you're just going to start seeing all of these things done in somewhat extreme ways, good or bad, because we we crave it. We crave, like Spencer said, that that intimacy that whatever that intimacy mm-hmm. is we crave um we crave sharing we crave people and we have all now learned a new way to uh to self-sustain you know sustain our our own homes we want to share yeah. that as well i think you're going to see i think a lot of that's going to be coming coming out in 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 droves there is that interesting parallel you have to mention up and mention this uh you know, intense kind of, you know, uh, uh, intensifying search for, you know, gratification outside of where ourselves are. And is there's this interesting parallel with, you know, identify with the Roaring Twenties as being this time of fun and debauchery and of loosening inhibitions and whatnot. And it's weird because we're ending a pandemic and we've been going into our own 20s year-wise. And who knows yeah. what's that... As you said, Ian, who knows what we're going to have going into this decade of finally being free of uh, a pandemic and also other things that are affecting our society as well, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what kind of decadence? We even have our own prohibition lift uh, on the horizon, it would seem. Yeah. Even you have our own prohibition lift. That's right. Thank the Lord. Yeah. If, if that's your thing. Yeah. That's um, yeah, there's there are absolutely a lot of parallels that we can draw. That's really 
I had not thought about that. I well, think hell, when was, was the Spanish one? Hey, who had the flapper? Who had the flapper party? I did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. when the Spanish flu was in 1918, right? Yeah. What's two years? What's two years? Yeah. You know, this is that's that's a, that's a crazy parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of insane. How we should that all happened. we should all research what happened after the Great Depression a little bit more. I think just to prep ourselves a smidge. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, well, I World think, War yeah. happened after the Great Depression, so right, yeah. oh, right. So let's all read that. So let's prep our stuff. <laughs> we fought. So that was a really good idea, Ian. Is what you're saying, Stan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Debbie Downer. <laughs> yeah, but I do think that this resurgence of of learning, basically learning to care for yourself, learning to care for your home, learning to feed yourself, learning to, like you said, Stan, look in a co- look in a cabinet and be like, "This is what I have. What can I make?" Those are skills that that they had during the Great Depression. Those are skills that they had during World War II. Those are skills that they had to develop because of the things that were happening in that time period. And we are developing, redeveloping, if you will, those skills now for a lot of people. And I think that that's, in the end, I think that that's what can save people, you know, know is having those skills. It's kind of fascinating about that, though. Like, when you talk about World War II... And like kind of pre World War II skills, it's it, it it gets my mind thinking about like, huh? And then like post World War II, we got stuff like microwaves and candy bars and instant popcorn and oh my goodness and, and TV, <laughs> so it's, TV dinners and, and TV, TV dinners and t- so it's like well, I think that's what we're gonna see is, is that's, that's a really good point. We've been talking about going kind of reverting back to uh, hands-on skills. A mm-hmm. lot of a lot of the automation of food uh, was born out of not just World War II um, innovations, which it absolutely was, but also a yearning for it, a need for it as things became as, as things became more fast-paced as we changed the way we worked. I, I don't know if we're gonna go into I, I'm not gonna I do not want to predict that we're gonna have a war at the end of God, I hope decade. not. Dear God, I couldn't handle it emotionally. Celebrate but um, with the big world war, yeah. But but none nonetheless, I think that, that's a good point. We're going to we're we're going to come out of this, and we're going to be doing all these things, and we're going to be teaching our kids these things, and that generation is going to know it, and they're going to be sick of us, and they're going to revert back to TV dinners. And they're going to revert back to <laughs> to candy bars and instant popcorn because that's going to be not what their parents did. It's going to be the next step. I mean, I suppose right, one right. thing, though, that's sort of different is that we will not, as we were at the end of World War II, we will not be, or I should say very likely we will not be leading the world in scientific and engineering innovation the way we were at right. the end of World War II. So, you know all of that stuff kind of does come or a lot of that comes out of that too. So a little bit, but I do think that there's something to be said about not doing what your parents did. Sure. So much of, so much of how our, how we buy things is based on both what we learned and what we were, what we reject, you know, in the 19, in the 1980s, there was a, 
huge pull for people in their 20s and 30s to drink clear spirits because whiskey, scotch, cognac was the drink of your dad. And that changed the way that people drank entirely. Vodka became king. And then you get into the 90s and the 2000s, and it's all about the Cosmo and those kinds of things. Um, <laughs> I think the same thing is going to happen. Like we're going to We're going to see eventually... We've been doing all these awesome things. We're going to teach our kids and our nieces and our nephews and our cousins how to make awesome sourdough bread. And they're going to turn 22 and they're going to be like, fuck you guys. I'm going to buy it from the store because it's just going to be, <laughs> oh, I think you're going to see that down the line. I, think. I would imagine. Might, 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 I, uh, might I recommend Le Boulangerie? Logan. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder if, like, the style of rebellion will be a little different for that generation, if for no other reason than so fewer of them are themselves being raised by children now, you know? Like, I've been thinking a lot about this notion, like, we, so many people are, like, in their 30s and even early 40s having their first kids, and I Mm -hmm. have this, this notion that, like, when people who actually know something about the world are the ones that are raising kids, I imagine that things are going to be a bit different for how things happen. Now, that being said, of course, the rebellion that um, that Ian's describing is like a natural process of just becoming an adult human being. But right. you know, when you're not being raised by some 21, 22, 20-year-old 20 idiot, you might have a better shot of having a healthier yeah i think a little bit i think but like in the 19 in 1940 21 is not what 21 is today no exactly exactly i mean my mother was 23 when she had me and that was in the late 70s so it and it's completely different now even from then um but i i think too that there's something to be said in this notion of the the rebellion and what habits will continue and what won't. I think there's the idea that in in the 50s, when we started seeing this this inundation of convenience foods, this happened a lot from the innovations in you know machinery and, and producing and things like that that came out of the 40s, but also it, it was to save, quote unquote, the housewife, right? But at the same mm. time... At that time period, you know, the 40-hour work week is built on the idea that you have someone at home all the time. Mm. So there there was the house, you know, there was... What was that, Amanda? <laughs> <laughs> right? So that, that was built on the notion that, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, you'd go to work, but you had a wife at home who was raising your kids and making your meals and cleaning the house. And all of that stuff was happening while you were working your 40-hour work week. And then we got into convenience foods because, let's be honest, more and more women were finding that had had gone to work during World War II and were finding that they liked it and they wanted to continue working. So you had fewer women at home full-time. I mean, granted that, you know, the 50s, 60s housewife was still a trope for a reason. But it was fewer numbers because they had gone to work. They'd gotten that taste of it and they wanted to work outside of the home. So you get more convenience foods to sort of take the weight off of their duties because did did anything else take the weight off? No, they were still expected to do all the housework and the cooking, feed the children and all of that. 
Now what we're looking at is people, like Spence said, people who are much older are having children. People, both parents are working full time or people are not having children at all, like myself, and are living alone. And Nick and I, I keep trying. It's just not working out. We <laughs> <laughs> oh believe in you, though. Thank you. But I, wow. I have to wonder, this was a question that popped into my head um, a, a few minutes ago. Do we think that, because we're a society right now, at least in the United States, we're a society of, of the hustle, right? Everybody's trying to hustle to make ends meet. And that means that we are no longer a family of four or, you know, the husband and wife and 2.5 children. Like, that's not a thing anymore. There's a lot of people who are not having children or having children late in life or not getting married or it just all of these different things and all about the hustle in order to make ends meet. So I have to wonder. That is a, that is a, that is a, that is an answer that starts all the way in 1981. Right. Because I mean, that's, that's a really long answer because that, that, of course you have to start looking at the empire strikes back. No, that's 1980. (laughs) Get your get your years mm. correct. Anyway, well, no, what I'm wondering <laughs> is, do we think that post pandemic, now that people have relearned all these things about themselves, about taking care of themselves and home, and what matters to them as as far as being social with friends and and that kind of time with other people think that we are going to approach the age where the hustle doesn't matter anymore? Are we coming to the end of the hustle? Or do you think it's going to resurge with, as Ian put it, our children, not my children, but you know, the next generation basically saying, fuck y'all, we're going to do it our own way. I think it depends on the ideals because, you know, back, back when people still could make a really good living and didn't have to worry about um, having to pay more for taxes because the rich pay their mm-hmm. fair share before Reagan Reaganomics came out. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I mean, that's, that's been basically the downward spiral uh, le- tailing into our current so-called late stage capitalism where um, the capitalists are trying to find every way to maximize potential and uh, production. And people are forced to f- take two, three jobs and have side gigs and, everything like that, just to make ends meet. And I think that's going to depend on what we can do to either um, change the way we make money so that we we actually have that ability to make more money and not kill ourselves doing it, Mm -hmm. or come to the realization that we will not have every creature comfort in the world, but that if we can work enough to give us what we need and hopefully put something away for retirement that we don't have to kill ourselves to do it. And we may actually enjoy the life that we have. That we're currently living. And that, that because we're so ingrained on, okay, you have to make six figures and you have to buy a house and you have to live in the suburbs and you have to buy, um, you have to shop at whole foods um, and spend right. your whole paycheck. Maybe that's it, not, maybe that's really not the right way to live. And if we can find this way to live 
purposefully and live happily and not necessarily own a house, have a yard, have 2.78 kids, whatever, <laughs> that we'll find the fulfillment that we need without having to be uber rich and be uber competitive and kowtow to capitalism and racism and everything else. Well, I'm a cynic in this. Um, there will be another Reaganomics, and there will be another surge of it, whether we like it or not. The, the, the reality is we're all sitting in this room, and I think all of us probably have a similar um, political ideology or social ideology. We all want what Stan just described, and I absolutely want what Stan just described. I think the reality of the situation is to have that would be idyllic and yeah. there will always be a kind of a pull to that if nothing mm -hmm. changes. And I think that there's potential for things to change. I just don't think that, I don't think that that change can happen so fully, especially in the next 30 years. No. Certainly in the next 30 years, it can't happen. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next four. And I'm not going to get into that. Because right, right. <laughs> Because uh, That's a it hasn't been certified podcast. yet. Well, not no, not necessarily because it hasn't been certified yet, but it's because we just don't know. We just like that, that making right. uh, making assertions around that would be irresponsible. Yeah, but right. we can look back at history and say that it, history has repeated itself pretty consistently in cycles for the past mm -hmm. century, at least if not longer. And it's maybe that cycle period is shortening as our as our ability to make change has shortened, but for the most part, it's pretty consistent. So I do think that we're gonna kind of roll in and out of those problems. We're gonna get to that point. And to even just talk about what we just went through politically in America, which is, I, I'm trying not to, but fuck it, I guess we're gonna do it. The second Harrison did the exact same thing that we are seeing our current administration do. So. Um, I'm not as optimistic. I do think that there's going to be revert, reverting. I do think there's going to be rejecting. I do think there's going to be uh, a rebirth of the 80s ideals of Reaganomics. But I do okay. think certain things will have changed. And I do think that one thing that's going to be great coming into the next decade is I think we've all learned the importance of health before wealth to a certain degree. And I think work cultures are going to change and be a lot more positive for people. I think we're going to start work wondering about how we can better take care of uh, the women in the workforce who do have families, and we need to support them in in in, in that in, in in a more um, beneficial way. I think we're going to think about sick days in a very different way and not penalizing people who take sick days. Mm. That will be very positive. Mm. <laughs> But other yes. than that, I'm, I'm other than that, I'm a total cynic, and I think everything's going to probably go to shit in years. So, <laughs> but so like, what are we eating? <laughs> <laughs> have we, On the wait, food have we, podcast, have we have we stopped talking about food? <laughs> I, you know, I open sometimes. If I get the right people in the room, you never know what we're going to end up talking about. Yeah. Um, I should but, shut the hell up. Is all right. So probably. let's let's bring it back to food. What's everybody's favorite pizza? Well. <laughs> Yeah, go for it. Who wants to talk about their favorite pizza? Go. Uh, I don't really know. Shoot me. More, but Jets. Well, Lou Malnati's. I also really love their pizza, but um, I'm gonna give a duo shout out to Fat Chris's, who makes 
Ooh. just the Ooh. bomb Detroit style pizza. Um, like Detroit. Things. Where do we get this? So uh, it is on. Oh goodness, where is Fat Chris? Is it's on? Is it on Foster? West of Ashland? Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Thank you. Yes, it is on yeah, Foster. Yeah. Okay, gonna have to try that because I get my uh, Detroit style from the from the Jets. From the Jets, which around the, the corner. My wife and I talk about going to Jets, but we never do it because we forget about it. And I'm then, obsessed with Jets bread. And whenever we want Detroit style pizza, we're just like, all right, Fat Chris's time. Let's do it. Dang. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to try that place then. It's amazing. And um, I, yeah, I swear by it. I love that Detroit style pizza. So good. Mine's a holy, yeah. There's a holy trinity for me. It's Pequod's, Luminati's, and Spacanopoli. Spacanopoli is really great. What's yeah. that? That's the second fun thing to say that you've said today, Stan. I'm keeping track of because really also, you also said dumpling doughs, which is just a very satisfying <laughs> phrase. Amanda, Amanda <laughs> should know about this. Um, Spacanopoli is a, a Ravenswood pizza joint uh, just north of Montrose. On Wilson. Makes Nap- on Wilson that makes Napoli-style pizza, and Ooh. it's just excellent. That mm-hmm. sounds um, amazing. It's just around the corner from Spoken, FYI. Okay. I was like, I've definitely gone there before. Yeah. So, you know, you come to Spoken for lunch and then you can go to Spockanopolis for dinner. Just, I think they, I think they also have a BYOB, uh, BYOB policy too. But I think so. When I was there, is is located at 1706 West Foster Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. They will definitely have my business now. Because I feel like if you're going to plug, plug. Do it. Plug the restaurant. Plug properly. I was going to say, my my favorite pizza, like my perfect pizza is just uh, oven roasted pizza that has sausage, fennel, garlic, fresh mozzarella. Oh, that's like pizza ingredients. That's a good, because I am very, very flexible about pizza ingredients. I will accept literally anything. Oh, there's no wrong answer on what can go on a pizza. It's just like, what, what, what do I think of when I need a pizza for comfort? I need a sausage, fennel, garlic pizza. Ian, Ian, how do you feel about, about the pineapple? Bring on the pineapple. Good. I want the pineapple. Thank I want God. the ham. I want Good. the bubbly cheese. I don't know if I love it with a red sauce. I prefer it with like a garlic puree. Yeah, if you're gonna do pineapple. Damn. I mean, I, the other thing for me with pineapple is I want my pineapple. If I'm, if you're gonna put it on the pizza, chop that stuff up. I don't want big giant chunks. You know what? Oh, yeah. I much prefer that's big the whole giant experience stuff. though. Because you know, if you have big giant chunks, they caramelize on the top. It's yeah, but they're harder to bite into. I find incorrect. Like, I, would them, I would rather them to be like, uh, like a nice. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, not quite pureed, but just kind of chopped up into like every bite. Yeah, like, 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 like little like tiny a, chunks, in like a rough mince. Yeah. yeah, in the same way that you experience things like, uh, you know, uh, pepper, green pepper, for instance, you know, like it's really nice to get just all those nice little hunks of business and they mm, create this mm-hmm. lovely. I'm going to say this one time. time. You get that green pepper off my pizza. <laughs> oh, oh, get that green pepper on my pizza. Get it off. My I pizza. like some green pepper pizza. Yeah. I love me a, a what you, like combination pizza from Costco. That's actually, that's my, oh, you're, that's you're my really shit. pizza. 
That's pretty good. Are you a supreme pizza? I will eat a supreme pizza if it's presented to me or it's under a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) She will steal the pizza pizza off of other people's tables. Yes. Actually, Amanda came to my house once, a Costco gluten free pizza that only had cheese on it and it was cardboard and she ate it. So I'm just putting that out there. I don't I mean, think anyone pizza. in this room wouldn't eat a pizza if it was in front of them. Right. It's pizza. I can eat a pizza that I'm not wild about, but I'll eat the entire pizza. <laughs> gonna eat the pizza. It's like ice cream. Same deal. But you gonna, know, but you know, after, eat ice cream. after seven months of making my own doughs, I really will probably never eat another DiGiorno pizza in my entire life. Hmm. Uh, that's fair. Even if it was in For front sure. of you right now? Even if it was in front of me right now. Wow. Sausage and pepperoni and perfectly made, I probably wouldn't touch it. We're about wow. to start on some homemade dough adventures over here at my house because it's finally not so hot to have the oven on. Amanda, do you have a cast iron? I do. So like, one of the best things to do is just to preheat the cast iron and then you make the pizza in the hot cast iron and you can blast it under the heat source of your oven for like 11 to 15 minutes and it comes out... Italian finger kiss to the sky, good. Well, that is, Ooh, okay. that, that's kind of sort of like having a pizza stone. It is. It's, you it's, have your it's, pizza stone fired up for, at 500 degrees for mm-hmm. an hour, and then you just shove that thing on the off the pizza peel, and it's ready in like nine minutes. So. But the great thing about this is that all the cheese that hits the end of the crust caramelizes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but if you're going to do that, though, I got to recommend whole milk mozzarella, not part skim. Always whole milk mozzarella. It's it's the difference between having a crust versus having rubber. Can we just cut out all that shit about politics and just have a podcast about pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that we're supposed to be talking about? We're supposed to be talking about food. I think at some point we're gonna end up having to just do a podcast about pizza, even though I don't. Please, I'm ready for the round table of pizza. Well, then you're gonna have to prepare the gluten free crust, Angela. And I you know we can do a round table on pizza. It'll be a round pizza not sponsored table. by round table. <laughs> I have a question for the I have a question for the group as it pertains to food and cooking. Finally. Yes. Um uh has anybody created new kitchen staples or like dish staples that you guys kind of like cook on the weeknights or all the time in quarantine? Has something um, kind of like jumped into your rotation? We have developed a kind of uh lamb burger that um has curry in it uh it is topped with a curry aioli and um it gets uh uh shredded uh lettuce and it's served on a toasted pita and it's one of the best things in the known universe that sounds amazing yeah. Wow. Um, if I have if I have a p- five pound bag of potatoes, because I'm again I live alone. Five pounds is a lot. <laughs> I will I will there's a regular rotation of uh potato things that I'll make. Uh Hasselbacks, uh baked potatoes, uh and my two favorite, which would be um we're not talking about dumping doughs, would be uh potato pierogies. Because mm-hmm. I'm Polish and my dad used to make those all the time. And mm. Uh, and potato pancakes. Oh yeah, because nice. they're quick. They're quick and nice, and you fry them up really good, and they're nice and hot. And 
sour nice. cream on top and can you just describe the physical experience of a homemade pierogi? Um, so, okay, have you eaten store-boughts like Tasha's or Alexandra's or whatever? I don't think I have. I've only had them in, like, restaurants, you know, like little What's, supper club type places. My favorite is Mrs. Oh. T's. Oh, <laughs> oh, Super oh. cheap ones. Oh, oh, I'm going <laughs> to teach you to make them. Oh, oh, I'm just, my head just split open... You ever had a conniption? Um, so, uh, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay, first, Stan. First of all, first of all, um, the whole magic of making dough and and fillings, however you want. Um, but you can. There's a real tenderness to a dough when you do it right. And if you don't do it right, you stick it in the fridge for three days, and when you reheat it, you heat up butter and water and then you let the water boil off and then the butter starts to brown and then you can make a nice little uh fried dumpling out of it and it's just you know there's so many different ways to eat the same piece of of potato dumpling or meat or whatever you decide to put in it it's just really something special to fine tune what you get five minutes after it's done boiling or five days after it's done cooking uh, whether you reheat it in water and butter or you fry it up and whether you put sour cream on it or you just eat it plain or whatever you decide to put on it. It's just, it's, it's something you sort of can do with pasta. You can't because it's, it is, there's, there's a million ways to make it and reheat it and let it sit and let it and freeze it and eat it. <laughs> it's a super, it's a super versatile thing, so, which I find, you know, every culture has its, it's dumpling. sort of, a, a, it's version of a dumpling and usually there's something that can be simple enough that you can have many many variations on it i used to go to this restaurant in ann arbor that was called amadeus that had pierogies that were just amazing and they were so simple they were so simple potato and they would put a little sour cream on top and it just I, sometimes I think they also sprinkled some dill on top. Is that is that a usual thing? Uh, dill can be on top. Uh, you can uh, adjust the per, uh, the pierogies to have uh, cheeses of different kinds uh, with the potato. You can put onion in it or not. You can mince mm -hmm. the onion or uh, have little larger pieces. Or like I do, use onion powder. Stan, uh, Stan, do you ever do like sweet ones? You can eat sweet ones. I never made it myself, but there's like. Plum filled and uh, fruit filled. Yeah, I had some fruit filled ones in Michigan that like sweet cheese. Damn. Um, I say, you know, if the pandemic lifts and they have a pierogi fest in Whiting, Indiana next yeah. year, we'll all just have to go crash it because it is a yes. giant party. Please. I'll Did only you just say go to Whiting, Indiana. Indiana? I will only Whiting, go to Indiana, Indiana for pierogi. I don't know if I can go there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's not that far. <laughs> I'm the same thing like, ooh. I used to do a gig. It sounds oh, no. like a sundown town. I used to do. Oh, I used no. to do a gig in Whiting, Indiana, every year, and it, it is like a, a sun up to sundown town. There's, there's no sunshine the mascot, in Whiting, Indiana. But the mascot um, museum is also right there too. So, oh, you really, you really wait, sold like, it. A yeah. museum of mascots. Museum yes. of mascots like, in Whiting, Indiana. Where sports? else would it? Be? Mascots. <laughs> yeah. Like the Philly fanatic is hanging out with. I, uh, I don't know. I've never been to the so. or something. I just know it's there. Yeah. So. 
Awesome. Sounds terrifying. Um, <laughs> I mean, speaking of like pierogies, I guess we've been we've been doing some like fusion fusion bullshit at my mm. house with um, lumpia. Oh mm. yes, yes. We've been doing some nonsense over here. Um, we did a uh, um, Brian, um, my partner Brian. He uh, used to work at Whole Foods. So a lot of his friends are very culinarily inclined and um, a couple of his buddies bought a smoker um, last summer and like it's outside. So over the summer we would like go and buy like a ginormous hundred dollar brisket from Costco Mm -hmm. and just throw it in that smoker. And um, we brought home some of the brisket and made this insane lumpia with it. Um, it was truly like amazing. Um, I, I can't even, I girl, still dream about it. Um, where was mine? I I'm know like, I'll bring you some <laughs> next time. I swear we ate it all. We ate it. Um, but the other day Brian made some, some like breakfast lumpia with bacon in it. And then mm. we also did, um, we did like, uh, kind of burgery like lumpia with like ground beef and stuff and onions mm. and we were like oh we have some random leftover mac and cheese here uh why don't you we did not throw that inside the lumpia wrapper and oh i my felt God. like i was being a bit sacrilegious but like it was so good <laughs> <laughs> so, it was so good <laughs> Um, Uber has that... a connect option, so can you send us those things? Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Next time we make it, I swear I'm gonna make like a ton of mac and cheese lumpia. I mean, I can't eat those, but I might gluten myself just just to try it. Cause hey, is there gluten free lumpia wrappers? There's gotta be. There's gotta I mean, be. There's the whole point of a lumpia wrapper is that gluten keeps it thin and. I Rappy. guess that's true. Maybe maybe if there's a rice style one. You know how there's rice yeah. paper wrapping? Yeah, paper. the rice paper ones. That could work yeah. too. That'd be d- tasty, I bet. Yeah. Time to go to H-Mart. So that'll have to be on your list of experimentation and you let yeah. me know how it turns out. <laughs> I sure will. I sure will let you know. See, I got to make you some uh, some non, non-soy, right? That too? Yeah. Yeah, so some non-soy, non-gluten. I'll get to work. I'll get to work. I, I, I mean, that you might mean so much as well. But you I have you every you once in a while. You have three hours. Go. <laughs> Get right. <laughs> um, so we have come up to about an hour and 40 minutes of this conversation. Hey. Well, maybe not quite. Maybe not quite because the beginning recording thing here, we were, it was before we actually started the podcast part. But um, I have loved talking to you all so much. Um, we can totally do this again. We are going to do this again with this group of people because y'all are just a delight. But Aww. I just have one more thing that I want to hit on before we <clears throat> podcast. And it's going to require, Carlos, that everyone contribute because I'm going to ask. The introvert. Dang. Wow. Um, okay. Go ahead. To watch. I'm, I'm gonna start with you. I'm gonna start with you. Oh man. Oh. So um, go ahead. Does that mean that you have to do the fight from beat it, where like we 
attach your wrist and you knife fight so we have come to the point in the podcast this is is how i end all of my podcasts when i have guests and this segment is called what's in your pie hole even though we've been talking about food this whole time well We've been talking about food 75% of the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lower. It's fine. It's fine. This, this, this such is the nature of the world we're living in right now. Um, what, what this segment is, for those who are not familiar, is I want to know what is the thing that you're super into eating right now? Because people go in phases, you know, like I will be in a phase where I'll eat nachos every night for like two weeks. Or I'll get really hooked onto one kind of breakfast for like a week or so. And, and that, that's what I want to know. I want to know what is the thing that you're super into right now that you find yourself eating on repeat all the time? Carlos, go. Okay. Can it be two things? Because it's kind of like an in-between. Yes. Okay. So first one is you grab a cucumber, you cut that shit up, and uh, you grab lemon juice or lime juice, and then you put tahini on it. And then, oh, that mm. shit is very Mexican, and I'm Puerto Rican. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it's so good. It's, so, it's good. so good. It's such a good snack. Um, and then, obviously, the other thing which I grew up with, which is also not part of my culture, um, it's Venezuelan. But arepas. I made like a oh, hundred fourteen yes. arepas for three different offices. Oh my god! But again, where was mine? <laughs> I'm sorry. And they were with like coconut oil too, so they were like healthy. Oh. Um <laughs> Is it healthy? Wow. I, I lie to myself. They're not as really healthy as three cups of Nutella. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so yeah, so that's awesome. what's uh been in my pile. Awesome. Um who's next? Let's go with Amanda. Okay. Um I'm gonna do two as well because Okay. Yeah. So the first thing is this like random like seasoning. It's kind of like your um that crunchy stuff that you have at Spoken, but it's Oh yeah, the chili crunch. Mommy and it's um mm-hmm. by the brand SMB which makes like all your good Japanese like seasonings and curries and stuff like that and like mm-hmm. I just randomly bought it from a little Daiso store out in Niles which is called um well, Daiso is like a Japanese dollar store. Um, but this store out in Niles is called Hello Tokyo. They have like a little grocery oh, section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's like everything is under $2. And I should not go there anymore. But I bought <laughs> this. I just randomly grabbed this because I saw it on the shelf. And it was like crunchy garlic, like chili oil magic. And yum. I swear... Like, I had to stop myself from just, like, spooning the whole thing into my face. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. I need to figure out how to make it on my own because there's no way I can keep buying this. Um, <laughs> but the other thing that kind of goes with it, because I was combining these things, is fried chicken. I've had fried chicken for so many meals this week. In the last couple weeks, mm. it's just been... It's been a mess like i've been eating popeyes i've been eating jollibee i got some bonchon which if y'all haven't had bonchon yet 
Oh no! Need to Insert go. Insert plug here. Yeah, I gotta Insert go plug. Not sponsored, but Bonchon is a <laughs> Korean, um, Korean chicken place. Like, I guess they're chain. They're all over. If they're all over the country, they're all over Asia. But like, their breading will make you cry. You can't go wrong. Get the wings. Get the drumstick. Get the the you know what are chicky tenders from there. Like, <laughs> you will. Just be so please. I'm plugging it. They have two locations in Chicago. There's one in Chinatown. There's one on Division Street in Wicker Park. Go. <laughs> awesome. I actually just made some gluten-free fried chicken in the air fryer that I just got. Ooh. And it was uh it was okay. It was okay. I need to tweak the recipe, so I'll report back. But it was it was okay. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um uh Ian, what's in your pie hole? I, I also got a, got a couple things. Um, obviously, Taco Tuesday is alive and well here <laughs> in my home. But um, I have been trying to perfect pasta alla gratia, which is a, 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 a guanciale fat sauce that you kind of create. You emulsify mm-hmm. the fat for, and uh, you make a pepper sauce out of it. And it's mm. just like so comfortable because it's pasta. Because it's a bowl of bread. Um, yeah. But it's so good. It's so comfortable. And it tastes so good. And I love black pepper. It's one of my favorite flavors. Mm-hmm. But also, I just have been needing to have around the house uh, pillow-sized bags of peanut M&M's. <laughs> and I think we've talked about this on this podcast before. But um, it was something that my grandfather always had around their house and kind of just it was always just kind of around and i think uh i and lately just have really needed some comfort so pillow sized bags of peanut m&ms is also what's in my pie hole excellent excellent uh stan how about you um i'm gonna go back and say my my own pizzas because i'm i'm really enjoying them um awesome yeah but also uh, for my second item, uh, Americone Dream ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. Okay. Yeah, they are. Uh, I'm just addicted to it because um, they have those little pieces of waffle cone in it, and it's it's just it really um, yeah, just yeah. Um, and then and then because I can never get my hands on any, a really really good rack of ribs of baby backs. Oh. Mm, ribs. Ribs. You're not allowed to have that here. You're not allowed to have it. No, I was just making a joke because we can't. It's hard to find a really good rack of ribs. It's true. That's true. Just, That's it's true. Just really, really hard. Yeah. Um, you be doing that, Smoke Daddy, though. I oh, yeah. I like Smoke. smoke okay. Unpopular right. opinion. It's all right. It's all right. She all right. <laughs> it's easier to find good brisket than it is to find ribs, which is really weird. I now. feel like, I mean, I grew up in such a way where the good ribs were a family member. Like, we go <laughs> yeah. to Uncle Kurt's yeah. place for these ribs. We go to Uncle Chuck's. You know, like, that's that was how I... So the, the concept of, like, going to a restaurant for any kind of barbecue is only about 
you know, maybe 15 years old for me. I mean, <laughs> the know? good ribs, you got to just know where to go in this you town. Gotta, you got to just like, know where to go. And I, I know a couple spots, but they are sketchy. But I guess what you... I'm saying is that, like, at, for, so for me, it's like, you know, if you make ribs where it does all the things that I think that ribs are supposed to do, which is like to fall off the bone and not require any kind of sauce to be delicious, then mm-hmm. you get a pass from me. If you can't and, and do see, that, then, yeah, you know. And and that, see, and see, here's the issue. Is low bar from, for restaurant ribs. <laughs> but, we, but see, the thing for me is that mine should not fall off the bone. Mine should, and, and this is where, like, I had a my issue with my dad because my dad would make the ribs to fall off the bone. And I hated that. I wanted them to be chewy. I wanted them to, to rip off the bone and have mm-hmm. a really wonderful rub that I can not only eat by themselves, but also with a pair with a really good sauce. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with I'm with Stan. Like, I want my ribs to be. I don't want it to. I don't want to rip it off the bone. I want it to come off the bone with the bite. But yeah. I want it to have some texture. Like, if you if you cook your ribs to the point where they fall off the bone, you've overcooked them. It has to have a really excellent rib so that the meat itself is still savory. And if you want to go in either direction of spicy, savory, or sweet, you can. Yeah. That's a, mm-hmm. so. Pappy so Smokehouse is- in St. Louis. Pappy Smokehouse in St. Louis. Men- Memphis. Memphis for me. Oh, oh, but man, Pappy Smokehouse in St. Louis. I'm get, I'm getting emotional. So this was telling me about some like Chinese style, like ribs, short ribs. That's what I like. I think short ribs are different, though. I guess that's true. I put them in a different camp because a good short rib, like, well, fuck my butt. That stuff is so good. I do think that uh, I'm hearing that we're going to have to have a whole nother episode on ribs. On ribs. Because, yeah, yeah I mean, it sounds like we've had different rib philosophies. Because, yeah, I'm very much like, I, I, I mean, I do want it to, of course, have a texture. But, like, it for me, it's like it wants to be so smooth that, like, a pull of the lips is all I need. Yeah, to I want it. I want to slurp it. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> that's oh, a that's, horrible that's, noise that's, to make uh, on a podcast. That, that, Sorry, that's, guys. That's, that's what I want. <laughs> Like it, it wants to feel just a little bit fatty, and mm-hmm. that and, and, it, and the the rub needs to have so much depth that sauce is sacrilege. So I, I disagree because sauce is part of the experience. Like you make the the meat is not a vessel for the sauce. That's the wrong approach. But right. the sauce is part of the barbecue for that style of barbecue. But I think you really have to do justice to the rub. I mean. You yeah, don't have absolutely. a really good rub. It's, I mean, it doesn't matter yeah. what you do with the smoke. Uh, the rub is where everything starts and ends. So, Well, if you don't have a really good rub, like, you're not going to get pull off the bone. Like, if you're meat. talking about barbecue chicken, then I'm right there with you on the sauce. But with ribs, nah, man. I just well, want like to taste I said, that meat. Yeah. I think, I think we're going to have to have a whole other podcast on this. So I'm going to give you all some homework. Y'all are going to write a list of your very favorite barbecue rib places in the in the country can be countrywide right you're going to write a list of at least two or three places and then okay. you're going to tell me why it's and just going to be a list of my family members Angela, you this. know this i know that's fine <laughs> <laughs> just follow um, the prompt will be good <laughs> <laughs> so spence you are the oops sorry about that uh Besides oh. myself, you're the last one to tell us what's in your pie hole. I'm the f- I'm the final guest pie holer. Okay, so yes, um, 
I don't I don't know if I've mentioned this in my other uh, couple of appearances on this show, but I am a serious breakfast freak. So, um, <laughs> and I draw a distinction between breakfast and breakfast. Breakfast is uh-huh. a lovely little meal that you have. It takes you maybe five, three to five minutes to eat it, and it's very nice, and it fills you with energy, and it's great, right? So this is like your kind of granola, and I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm straining to think of like things that are like that, but you get the idea. Parfait. I don't know why yeah. I said that. I actually don't like parfait. Whatever. <laughs> but you get the point. Where is but it? Everybody but like parfait. It's perfect. It's parfait. Well, it's funny. Like a friend of mine um, a while ago was like, "Hey, I, I'm in the mood for parfait." I'm like, I realized I am don't think I've ever thought the thought I'm in the mood for parfait. Like parfait for me is something that's like if I arrive on set like at a certain point in the morning and parfait happens to be on the breakfast table, I will have one because I don't have time to have breakfast. Whereas breakfast, by the way, that, that is, that is the kind of breakfast that you need to like invest some time, both in the preparation and in the consumption. Right. So (laughs) I've been very big on breakfast sandwiches and my current breakfast sandwich of desire that I'm going to have as soon as we're done on this podcast, in fact, is a um it's an egg sandwich um where I take like uh it's a pretzel bun that gets toasted. Like I throw some cheese, um I throw some mayonnaise because I'm one of those weird people that loves mayonnaise. Um <laughs> and I throw that in the convection oven for like eh, maybe three minutes on 400 and then um that gets a couple of over medium eggs on it and uh (laughs) and whatever the meat that happens to be in the fridge right now which i think is right now some pepperonis um and i'll (laughs) chop up some green onions and i'll chop up some uh some 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 peppers and i'll have that and it will make my life feel complete for about mm, 20 minutes that sounds amazing you know, you know i gotta say if you're gonna throw mayonnaise in an oven for three minutes i can't eat that but yeah. i like more mayo but if you say if you say the word <laughs> breakfast i'm thinking that i'm not of a sandwich i'm thinking of a platter that's larger than my laptop <laughs> where all the all the various different breakfast items are all spread out and there's at least five of them and one of them is an egg and two of them are meats and there's at least one kind of giant bread type thing, preferably a biscuit of some kind, and hash browns. You're not wrong. Like that is also breakfast, but really breakfast is just about like how much time it takes for you to absorb it. Sure. Breakfast is a state of of being. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> state of being it's it's when your breakfast is an experience if it's not if it's just food it's breakfast if it's an experience it's breakfast sure Mm -hmm. so i have also been into the breakfast since uh i i end up being home most mornings so even though for so we at, at at my shop at spoken we serve scrambled eggs for our breakfast sandwiches and mm. so I don't really sandwiches, sandwiches. Yeah. And I don't for the longest time I didn't eat scrambled eggs at home because I just was like over it, you know. 
Um, but lately I have been eating scrambled eggs and Penzi's has this really great uh, seasoning blend called Justice mm. that has um, shallots Justicia. and garlic and green pepper and I don't remember what else, but I put that in the, while I'm whisking the eggs, puts a whole bunch of that in there and some salt and sometimes a dollop of sour cream and you whisk that all really good and cook it in some butter and that with a side of bacon is that's breakfast. I um, mean, only because I don't often have bread on hand. Otherwise there would be toast involved or it might turn into a sandwich or, you know, there's, there are though, there often is potato roasted potatoes that are roasted in duck fat. Mm. That is my, that's my carbohydrate for, for that. Um, but lately I've also been really into on the complete opposite spectrum. I've been into checks, cereal, cinnamon checks. Have y'all had cinnamon checks? Because I think we've all had it. It's just oh, so yeah. funny to hear you say mm. that. It's right. I know it's a weird thing for me, but you know, every now and then I need something that I don't have to like slave over. Everyone, I feel like cinnamon checks is one of those kinds of cereals that I would only consume at like a continental breakfast. You know, like, <laughs> it's just this is the best because, thing that's available because it's free. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. I will tell you the reason I bought it was because I had in my brain that I was going to make a pumpkin cheesecake, and cinnamon checks makes a gluten-free crust for a pumpkin cheesecake. Oh. And then one night I was home late and I was hungry and I dug into the cinnamon checks you know, late night snacking like you do. And it sort of went downhill from there. So <laughs> I'm going to have to buy more just to make the pumpkin cheesecake. But anywho, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I'm into. I'm into scrambled eggs and cinnamon checks. Take with that, now, what, do with that what you will. Those being together <laughs> does seem awfully um, adventurous. I mean... I, I appreciate. I, I embrace and appreciate that about you, Angela. You're I can't say that they're necessarily together. I'm. My Although they can together. be, like crumble them on top and. <laughs> I mean, if that's your thing, sure, go yeah. for it. <laughs> yes, sweet eggs is one of those things that I'm like, nah. Nah. Although I, I do I, like French toast, so I don't know. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Well. But then I, is it like, really eggs or is it a dredge? There's literal exceptions thing. to everything. I'm so flexible <laughs> yeah. about things when it comes to food, but yeah. Oh, ha. so our producer, Daniel, who is uh, in the wings being silent, just um, just posted that he also puts justice on his eggs. So there we go. Shout out to Penzi Spice. Penzi Spice. With that, I think we're going to end it there. <laughs> Uh, thank you all Aww. so much. Aww. But don't Hearth worry. Hearth and got, soul. Come on, tune into Hearth and soul. Hey. Tune into <laughs> Angela's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> on Scott the radio. We are. Radio So. We might need to have you record that, Spence. That might need to be the new uh, In intro In my best single. Jimmy Durante voice. Hearth yes. and soul. Come on and tune into hot and soul. Please. Yeah. I'm living. I'm here for it. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. But you all have your homework assignments, right? 
Yep. For for your ribs. Ribs okay. and pizza. And pizza. We're gonna do another one. Can about it be pizza. a tasting? Can it be tasting homework? Like while we're on the podcast. Well, duh. Thank you. I've got to figure out how to make my fancy microphone work so that we could have like an ASMR sort of an experience with the pizza. <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, we're good. We're <laughs> solid. <laughs> Super solid. Twitter, yes. you're going to hate that. I'm I hate, I'm hate into the crust. <laughs> I hate <laughs> ASMR with Welcome every your ASMR episode. Oh, it is the worst. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Hearth and Soul. You can find more on social media at Hearth and Soul blog on Instagram or Hearth and Soul on Facebook. And if you want to ask questions or send submissions, send us an email at ajtk at comcast.net. As always, you can find Hearth and Soul on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and scopymag.com, where you can find all the podcasts on the Scopy Network. Thanks again for listening. Now go put something good in your pie hole. Ciao!